going to be looking at Lord's Day 12 together tonight, and actually we're just going to look at question 31. We're going to look at question and answer 32 next time. So we'll spend two weeks in Lord's Day 12. It's printed in the bulletin if you have one. It also can be found on page 873 in the gray hymnal, Lord's Day 12, and then we're going to open up and read from Luke chapter 22 uh, this morning, or this evening, Luke 22 verses 31 and 32. So we'll get both, both of those things in front of us if possible. Lord's Day 12 and Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. I'll read Luke... 22, verses 31 and 32 first. This is what we read there. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's the Lord Jesus speaking to Peter. And then we'll read from question and answer 31 together. I'll read the question. Let's read the answer uh, together. So the question is, why is He called Christ, meaning anointed? Because He has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance, our only high priest, who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body, and who continually pleads our cause with the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for Your Word as it comes to us in the Gospel of Luke. We thank You also for Your Word as it's interpreted uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism. Father, as we look at these things tonight, we pray that You would lead us into all truth, that we might be more like Christ in every way, and that we might be better equipped to serve You and to speak Your truth in the week ahead. All these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. People of God, imagine with me that tomorrow somebody approaches you and asks you about Jesus. They come and they say, hey, I I know you're a Christian. I know you're a believer. Can you tell me about Jesus? What's so great about Jesus? What should I know about Jesus? Who, who is Jesus exactly? What would you say if someone came up to you and asked that? Certainly there are a number of true and accurate and good things you could say, but I suggest that you go on to speak about Jesus using the three categories of prophet, 
priest, and king. Any description of Jesus that is founded on those three categories will be the most comprehensive description of Jesus that a person can give. Believe it or not, each of those categories, prophet, priest, and king, is bound up in the one word, Christ. And note well, the word Christ, uh, it's not Jesus' last name. Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph and Mary, Christ. Sometimes I think that's just how our mind works when we grow up and we learn about Jesus Christ, that Christ was Jesus' last name. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ was a title, is a title. That's why when Jesus asked Peter, uh, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. If Christ was Jesus' last name, you wouldn't put a definite article in front of it, right? We don't say to somebody, uh, you know, you are the Deemer, <laughs> right? That's not how we talk. You are the Van Dyke. You are the Roosevelt, right? That's, that's not how we talk. Uh, uh, when we d- d- describe someone's name, we don't put the definite article in front of it. That's why when Peter uh, says, you are the Christ, it makes sense because Christ is not a name, it's a title. And it's a title that means, as the catechism says, anointed or anointed one. The word uh, Messiah means the exact same thing in Hebrew. So, so uh, Christ and Messiah, they're the same word. They mean the same thing. Uh, but one is in Hebrew, the other is in Greek. Anyway, In the Old Testament, we see three groups of people who are anointed. We see three groups of people who could be considered small m messiahs or small c Christs. And those three groups of people are prophets, priests, and kings. In 1 Kings 19, 16, Elijah is told, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. In Exodus 30, verse 30, we read, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, we read, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, prophets, priests, and kings were all anointed in the Old Testament. And so again, each of of the prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament are a, a Christ. Each of them is, in a sense, a Messiah simply by virtue of their having been anointed. If a Messiah is an anointed one and you are anointed, that makes you a Messiah. Of course, none of them was the Messiah. None of them was the Christ. That title is reserved for one who, as the catechism says, would be ordained by the Father and anointed by the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal king. That title is reserved for Jesus. 
Tonight I want to consider with you these various aspects of Christ's ministry, beginning with His being what the Catechism calls our chief prophet. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses prophesied about the coming of a supreme prophet. He, He prophesied about the coming of a prophet to really end all prophets. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. That's Moses' prophecy. And then in Acts 3, verses 17 through 26, we're told loudly and clearly that Jesus is the prophet whom Moses spoke about. Jesus is the one whom God has raised up and who every soul must listen to. Now, when we talk about Jesus as our chief prophet, both the words chief and prophet are important. Let's just begin by thinking about the word chief. Jesus is our chief prophet. The word chief sets our faith apart from other faiths. Because you see, Muslims, they, they recognize Jesus as a prophet, but he's not the chief prophet in their religion. That title's reserved for Muhammad. Mormons recognize Jesus as a great prophet, but not as great of a prophet as Joseph Smith. Jews might even ascribe to Jesus the status of prophet, but certainly not a prophet greater than Moses or Abraham. But Christians, Christians say, no, Jesus is the chief prophet. There is no prophet higher than him, no prophet greater than him, no prophet beyond him, no word spoken under heaven higher than his word. The word prophet is also important, chief prophet. In the Old Testament, prophets came and spoke the Lord's word to the people. Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, even John the Baptist, you name it, these prophets, they, they came and they, and they revealed the secret counsel of God for the people. These prophets came and they, they spoke heavenly truths to the people. They told the people things that they would never have known on their own. But none of those prophets who I just mentioned revealed God's word and God's will the way that Christ did. None of those prophets I just mentioned revealed God's word perfectly or completely or fully. However, Scripture tells us in Hebrews 1.3 that that Jesus, he's, He's the exact representation of God's being. Basically, tells us that Jesus reveals God exactly. John 1.18, that tells us that Christ is the only one to have seen the Father and made Him known. In John 15, Jesus says, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Christ reveals the secret counsel of God in a way that none of the prophets before Him ever did. The prophets before revealed bits and pieces, but Christ reveals all of it, and He reveals it perfectly. Of course, Christ is unique among the prophets, and Gordon Spikeman tells us why. He says, an ordinary prophet is one who speaks for God, 
but Christ speaks as God. A prophet speaks God's Word. Christ is God's Word in the flesh. So Jesus is the the chief prophet who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. And we see Jesus functioning in His prophetic role here in this text we read from Luke 22. Just look what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. What is Jesus doing there? Jesus is revealing to Peter and really to all of his children the secret counsel of God. He is helping us understand that we are people whom Satan desires to have. And you must remain spiritually vigilant at all times, lest Satan has his way with us. But, but this is not something that Peter would have known. It's not something that you or I would know if Christ, as our chief prophet, hadn't revealed it to us. This isn't something we can see for ourselves. We, we can't see ourselves in Satan's sieve. But Christ can, and Christ does, and here Christ reveals that secret counsel of God, as it were to Peter, and to all of us. The second category which is bound up in that title, Christ, is the category of a priest, or more specifically, a high priest, our only high priest, the catechism says. Now, if a prophet is concerned with revelation, revealing the things of God, a priest is concerned with intercession. For you see, in the Old Testament, the the high priest was the intercessor or the mediator between the holy God and His sinful people. And we see in the Old Testament that there are two ways primarily that high priests interceded for a sinful people before a holy God. (coughs) The first way is by offering sacrifices on the altar for the sins of the people. We read about this throughout the book of Leviticus. Just listen to these verses from Leviticus 8. Then he, that is Aaron, presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. So he he is offering sacrifices on behalf of a sinful people. And then Leviticus 16, right? We read about the Day of Atonement. That one day a year when the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But that's, that's one way. The primary way that priests interceded for the people in the Old Testament by offering the sacrifices God prescribed for their sins. Of course, the writer of Hebrews tells us that all of these Old Testament sacrifices that were offered weren't an end in themselves. No, they simply pointed to the great once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. 
which he offered on the cross. We read about this in Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, which says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So just as the high priest in the Old Testament offered sacrifices to God for the sins of the people, so did Christ offer a sacrifice to God for the sin of His people. The difference is that the high priest in the Old Testament continually, daily, yearly offered the sacrifice of bulls and goats, which couldn't actually take away sin, while Christ offered the once and for all sacrifice of Himself which has taken away sin. So he's our only high priest uh, and that the sacrifice he offered was effectual and the sacrifice he offered was final. He offered it and sat down. The priests of the Old Testament offered it, got up the next morning and offered it again, got up the next morning and offered it again and again and again. The second way that we see high priests interceding for people in the Old Testament is, by, is through prayer or, or by pleading their cause before the Father. The most clear place we see this is in Exodus 32. Moses is the one speaking here. Moses, eh, generally we think of Moses as a prophet and his brother Aaron as the high priest. That's certainly correct. But Moses also had uh, a priestly function uh, about him and about the duties he performed. Anyway, after the golden calf debacle, the Lord is ready to smite the Israelites off the face of the earth. And uh, Moses comes and he says to the Lord, Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And then we're told that after Moses made this plea, after Moses Moses, pled with the Lord to remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're told the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So this too was the work of of a priest to pray for the people and to advocate for the people before God, and to plead their cause before God. Of course, we turn to the New Testament. We see Jesus does this as well, right? Even as as Jesus has offered the once and for all sacrifice for our sins by His death on the cross, the New Testament is clear. He continues to intercede for us at the right hand of God. He continues to plead our cause before the Father. Hebrews 7.25 says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8.34 says Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised and who is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us. And then we look, at again, look again at our text from Luke chapter 22. And we see Christ doing the work of our great and only high priest. Look what he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. That's Christ as prophet 
Then he says this, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's Christ as priest. I've prayed for you. He says, Satan desired to have Peter, but Jesus pleaded for Peter before the Father. And the sense you get here is that the reason Peter's soul wasn't lost ultimately is because Jesus prayed for him. Jesus pleaded his cause before the Father. Satan wanted to have him, and Jesus said to the Father, no, he is mine. I will not let his soul be lost. The third and final category, which is bound up with that title, Christ, is the category of a king. Kings, too, were anointed. Right? We know that. Saul was anointed. David was anointed. Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's not only our prophet, not only our priest. He's also our king, our eternal king, the catechism says. And as king, he does two things specifically. In the first place, he, he governs us by his word and spirit, the catechism says. That is, he, he tells us how to live in this world. Just as rulers, kings give their people laws to live by, so has Christ, King Jesus, given us his law to live by. And we see Jesus functioning in his kingly role here in Luke 22. When he says, right, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan desires to have you. That's Christ's prophet. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's Christ's priest. And then he says, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's a command. That's Jesus exercising his kingly authority in Peter's life. Jesus has the same authority in your life and in my life. He's the king who governs us by his word and his spirit. He doesn't govern us by our emotions. He doesn't govern us by the culture. He doesn't govern us by a pope. He governs us by his word and his spirit. Not his word apart from his spirit. Not his spirit apart from his word. But by his word and his spirit. He also guards us. He governs us. That's the first function he does as king. He also guards us, and he keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. Good kings defend their people, don't they? And as our king, we look to Christ to defend us. Certainly, Jesus is defending Peter here in Luke 22. He's fighting on Peter's behalf against Satan. In John 10, 22, or excuse me, John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What's he saying there? I'm the king who defends my people. I'm the king who guards my people. So someone comes to you tomorrow and asks you about Jesus, well, take them to Luke 22 and use these three categories. Tell them how, how Jesus is our chief prophet who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. 
Tell them how Jesus is our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually, even now, is pleading our cause before the Father. And tell them that Jesus is our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us in the freedom and the salvation that he has won for us. Jesus Christ, who is he? He's our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for our perfect and blessed Savior who meets all of our needs and who ministers to us in every way imaginable. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which he perfectly reveals the secret counsel and will of God for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the way he has saved us from our sin through the once and for all sacrifice of his body and continues to intercede for us at your right hand. We thank you and praise you for how he governs us and guards us even now. Help us to obey him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll sing our closing song, which is going to be Glorify Thy Name. Brothers and sisters, our God sends us out with these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen. Number 29 in the blue book, if you want to use it, glorify thy name. Jesus, we love.